You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Today we're going to be looking at one of the passages of Scripture, to be quite frank, a couple of the episode stories from Jesus' life that have uh, burned into my mind as clearly and powerfully as any in the Gospels. And I believe that God can truly change our hearts here this morning with this passage of Scripture as we ask the question, who can be saved? Who can be saved? And if you will stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to read uh, verses 13 through 31, but at the very end, I'm going to come back and grab verses 32 through 34, because right there, we're going to see a powerful illustration of gospel sharing and preaching, okay? So this is beautiful, isn't it? Verse 13, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And then a very different scene. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now hear this. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. This is the only time I know of in scripture where this happens. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This is the one time in the scriptures where someone came to Jesus uh, with a question, a concern, and left, as we are told here, disheartened and sorrowful. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray. God, take this word and move in a mighty way here today. Remind us that you are mighty to save. There is no limit to your saving power. And so, God, we pray that it will be unleashed on us this morning and in the days to come as sweet revival, the sweet flood of revival comes here to our church. 
Thank you, Jesus, for all you're doing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, many of you know that I love to read, and in the last few years, now me saying this is a, is a pretty big deal because I, I, uh, there's a lot of books I like, but I think of all the books I've read in the last decade or so, the book Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand has been one of my favorites. I, I, they made a movie out of it, but as you can imagine, I don't much care for the movies as much as I like the books, okay? I like the books. The book is just fantastic, and Hillenbrand is a great, great author, and she tells the story of Louis Zamperini. All right? And I love that last name Zamperini because it's Italian, okay? And they know how to do last names. Anyway, so Louis was this amazing athlete. He was the best long-distance runner of his day. In fact, right before he had his plane crash into the Pacific Ocean, uh, he tells a story that he may have been one of the first human beings, if not the first human being, to beat the four-minute mile. And he did it on a sandy beach. This guy could run. He was in the Olympics. He, he was in shape. He was an amazing guy. He had tons of energy. And so he was in, uh, he was in the army and he was in an air- airplane and he was shot down over the Pacific. Now, I've flown over the Pacific Ocean a couple of times in my life. And I want to tell you this. It is big. The Pacific Ocean is big. And to imagine... This guy who had been a a world-class athlete, he is stuck in a little raft in the middle of the ocean with really no hope of rescue. In fact, he was on the Pacific Ocean for 47 days. At that time, that was a record. It's been beat since. But he survived for 47 days. And when he was rescued, he was rescued by the Japanese. And he went into uh, POW camps where he experienced probably worse indignities in those camps than he did all those days out on the ocean. Now, his story brings to mind that saying that sometimes uh, truth is stranger than fiction. When I read that book, it's one of those books that you read and you say, this is impossible. That a man can go through all of this and live. This is impossible that someone's circumstances can be this off the charts crazy. But it's true. It is a true story of a man who survives against all of the odds. Now for a moment I want you to get in your mind you being in a tiny raft in the vastness of the Pacific Ocean. I want you to realize that your spiritual condition, apart from the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, your spiritual condition has you just as lost as Louis was in that ocean. There is no way that you are going to survive the ordeal. It is impossible. I believe that human sin puts us in that exact predicament. Salvation is a miracle of God. If you're here this morning and you are a professing believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to know you are a miracle. Because the God of grace found you in that vast ocean of sin and saved you. Amen? And so know this, if that is possible for you, it is possible for that lost family member, that lost neighbor, anybody that you've encountered in your journey, never forget that the God who does all things and makes all things possible is at work and is mighty to save. Again, Jesus says here in Mark 10, 27, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Salvation, no matter how improbable, 
is possible by faith in Christ. Here in this passage of Scripture, we see the disciples as they, they hear that this rich young ruler of all people is not going to follow Christ. And, and, and wealth, in his instance, was that which tripped him up. And they say, well, then who can be saved? And the answer that Jesus is going to show us today is, on the one hand, from the human perspective, nobody can be saved because the odds are against us, because sin is that strong. But on the other hand, from the divine side of the equation, anybody can be saved who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Louis Zamperini, the most amazing part of his story is, is not that he survived 47 days on the ocean, not that he survived POW camps and all the challenges that he faced in his early life and later life, but the fact that when Billy Graham came to town one day, he asked Jesus into his heart and he was mightily saved after all of that. God preserved his life through all those things, I believe, so that he could come to know Jesus. And that book shows it. And anybody with eyes to see and ears to hear can see it. And so I believe if Louis can be saved, if you're here today and you are not a follower of Christ, you can be saved also. This is the mystery of faith. It's not something that we can figure out. I've been around a lot of egghead intellectual, scholar kind of people, and they try to figure out salvation and tell me it's this or it's that. Let me tell you, it's a mystery that God would save any of us. But he does. Oh, his love is so strong. And even in this passage today, we see that love pouring out. So let's talk first about Jesus's love. And this is where it gets a little strange because we're first going to talk about Jesus. He loves you enough to show you what you lack. Now there's a term, it's a mashed up term called frenemies. Frenemies, watch out for frenemies. Those who pretend to be your friend, but are really an antagonist, an enemy, okay? Now one of the ways that you can know a frenemy is, is a frenemy is always telling you how great you are. That's all they ever do is tell you how great you are. Now some of you are really encouraging and so don't, you know, keep encouraging, all right? I'm not telling you not to be an encourager. But sometimes when people are just always telling you all the good things, they may not be your best friends. Your best friends have the courage to confront you when you speak out of turn, when your heart isn't quite right. And I'm here to tell you, I've yet to meet a human being whose heart from time to time doesn't get disjointed. We need people in our lives. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You see where I get that idea of frenemies? You know, we don't want to just hear the good. Now, when we come back to this rich young ruler, this rich young man, what we realize is, is that Jesus loves him enough not to just celebrate the good things in his life. And we're going to show you, he had plenty of good things in his life. But Jesus loves him enough to let him see what he lacks. I believe that it is true that no one can be saved until they understand that they are a sinner. Never lost, never saved. What I mean by that is, until the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sinful condition before God, your lack of holiness in the presence of his perfect holiness, you cannot be saved. The best gift God gives us is when our conscience is made heavy by our sins. 
When we realize that our sins, not someone else's sins, not someone else's mistakes, but my sin put Jesus on his cross. You have to see what you're lacking though. So here we have Jesus being a friend that's sticking closer than a brother to this rich young man, this rich young ruler. Now let's take a look at who this rich young man is. We don't have his name, but we know this much about him. We see in verse 17 that this is a man who has a lot going for him. He's eager. Notice that the text says that he runs up to Jesus. Notice also that he is humble. He kneels before Jesus. And thirdly, we see, most importantly perhaps, he's asking the right question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So in every way, all the way around, this guy is something special. He is. I don't think we need to to feel like that it's a false sense of of greatness on the part of the rich young ruler. Jesus and, and the gospel writers set us up to see this rich young man as an exemplar. As the best of the best. Now hear me. The best of the best. The elite. This is a really special person. Jesus sees him. Looks at him. And loves him. And I think this is why. Because Jesus sees the great potential in this man. But things begin to get interesting in verse 18. Because the rich young ruler in verse 17 says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit inherit eternal life? And really the key term there, phrase is, good teacher. Jesus comes back and says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Now some scholars that are uh, not Uh, trying to uh, really, I think, be faithful to the text, will take this passage and say, see, Jesus really didn't believe himself to be divine. Here's an example of him saying, I'm just another guy. But that is a complete misreading of the text because I think what Jesus is saying is, hey, you, good guy, you're saying that I'm a good teacher. Now, do you realize that the only one that's perfectly good is God, which is his way of saying, guess what I am? Guess who I am? He's letting this person see that he, the rich young ruler, he can put his complete trust in Jesus because Jesus is not another teacher, not another prophet, but the Son of God. That's what's going on in this text. And so Jesus is trying to break down the last barrier to salvation for this man. But the rich young ruler, as smart as he was, was a little thick-headed. Now... Friends, I don't care, again, how, how great and, and godly your heritage is. There's just a little bit of the flesh in all of us. There's always a blind spot somewhere. And the rich young ruler's blind spot was really his pride. Jesus knows this. And so he says, hey, you know the commandments. And he goes through them. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And notice what the guy says. He says, you know... I got all those boxes checked. Now that's pretty good. That's pretty good. We we have to say that's interesting. Now, now if you're like me and a little bit cynical, you know, when somebody comes to me and says, hey, uh, I used to be conceited, but now I'm perfect, you know, something like that. (laughs) You know, I'm going to wink my eye and go, yeah, yeah, you got it going on there, buddy. You know, I'm going to be sarcastic about it because that's my spiritual gift. But anyway, (laughs) nonetheless, nonetheless, 
Jesus um, shows us that sarcasm is not a spiritual gift and actually doesn't argue with him. I think that we could say that at least in the most general sense, Jesus is going to say, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll, I'll, I'll allow for the fact that you are a very moral person who's doing the best you can in all of your efforts to glorify God. But I want you to hear this. Jesus admires the spiritual fire in the man's heart, but Jesus loves the man enough to reveal his primary weak spot, the one area of his heart that was off limits to God. Now let me change what I just said there and apply it to you. There are some good people in this room, but know this, Jesus loves you enough to reveal to you your primary weak spot, the one area of your heart that you've been keeping off limits to God. He loves you enough to show you where you need him most. Jesus says in verse 21, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. In other words, Jesus says, you have one more hurdle to overcome and you can be my disciple. And then verse 22, one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, this man walks away disheartened and sad. Disheartened and sorrowful, this man walks away without Jesus. Now, Jesus was not being cruel in the least. He was being kind in the extreme. This man had the biggest blind spot of all. And I'm going to tell you right now, there is nothing better than having a heritage of faith. But the downside and how the devil can manipulate you is if you have a heritage of faith is that you're putting too much of your faith in your heritage as opposed to the holiness of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. It's easy to think, well, I don't do this and I don't do that. I don't act like those people over here. I don't act like those people over there. And so like the rich young ruler, our assumption is, is that our goodness is good enough. But Jesus knows the great kindness is a hard word to remind him that he needs to give all to God. Not just what is comfortable. Nothing can be off limits if Jesus is your Lord. You cannot hold back a corner of your heart. You cannot hold back a facet of your life. You need to realize that it is all Jesus's. Jesus wants your whole heart, no exception. And today, my prayer is if you're here today and you have not given Jesus your heart, if you have not given him everything, that he will do you the greatest kindness of all and break your heart so that he can save your heart. Do you hear me? Now, I'm not praying that to be mean to you, but I am praying that God will break your heart to save your heart. I would rather the Spirit wound you for a second so that you can be saved forever. But that's what it takes. Because our second point is this, our good deeds will never save our souls. If anything, the rich young man, the rich young ruler story teaches us that. In verses 23 through 30, we see this. We see that good deeds are not enough to save sinful souls. A good life is not enough. This is what makes salvation so difficult. Verse 23, 
The disciples are amazed because in their minds, uh, the last thing that should keep somebody from following God would be riches. In that culture, if you were wealthy, um, the Hebrew people really believed that was because God had blessed you. Now, that's a good thing that, that you believe that God's blessings had led to the wealth. So in their minds, it's hard for them to take somebody who's been very successful, who on the outside looks very pious and religious, and then to say that they're lost. This was difficult for them because they're like, these disciples are just like you and me. We have a propensity to judge people on the outside shell and we forget that there's a whole lot more down deep. So let me just say this. Jesus knows you down deep. The shell, the mask, the facade that you give the world might work on all of us, but it will not work on Jesus. He knows your heart He knows your weakness. And it is literally, now some people think that this this metaphor that Jesus gives about the camel and the needle's eye and all of that has something to do with the gate, but the history doesn't match up. Um, The the archaeology doesn't match up. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying. Just get in your mind a needle that you would hold in in between your fingers here and and the eye of the needle and imagine a camel going through that. And that's about the chances you've got of being saved on your own merit. That's what Jesus is saying. He's speaking in hyperbole. He's speaking in over-the-top language here because he wants you to understand Jesus is trying to teach us that it is impossible to be saved apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, the rich young ruler's problem isn't so much his wealth, it's his sin. Being wealthy will not send you to hell, but what will is your sinfulness. When you allow your sinfulness to guide your heart, when you have that issue that Jesus is trying to solve and you're pushing him away, that's the problem. And we all have a problem. Who can be saved? Well, no camel can walk through the eye of a needle. No soul that has ever lived on this planet can go through heaven's gates on the merits of their righteousness. And I know that that is a hard thing for people to hear over the years as I've preached and taught and, and had encounters with, with certain, um, um, they're, not relig- they're not Christian religions, but they use Christianity. I'm not going to name names here, but, but certain um, denominations out there that are very works-based in their understanding of the scriptures. Um, this is something that they just don't get. Uh, in their minds, that every, everybody has to be a good person if they're going to go to heaven, that that's what really makes the difference. In fact, that makes Christianity no different than all the other religions. All the other religions are really works-based, self-righteous-based kind of religions. But Jesus comes in and blows that all up here with this story, and he shows us that it's all about grace. It's impossible with us, but friends, hear this well. What is impossible for us is possible because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We believe that. And I believe today it's important for someone in this room to realize that. Because many times the gospel is not preached. Many times I think people, even in Baptist churches, their their primary assumption is, if I'm good enough... I'll go to heaven. The only way we go to heaven is when we put our faith in Jesus. Simple faith will save your soul. That's our last point for today before we wrap things up. Simple faith will save your soul. It is not a mistake that the story that precedes the rich young ruler story is the story of the children coming to Jesus. 
This is not a mistake. Mark does this very intentionally. It is truly astonishing that the faith of a child will save a soul when the works of a rich young ruler will not. That's exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate here. He has the story of of the children coming unto him right there to remind us that the key is childlike faith, not mature self-righteousness. That's the dichotomy. That's the difference. That's the, the, the black and white that we see in this, in this passage that we often miss because we read the little children's story and then we forget it and then we go into the rich young ruler story, but they're connected. They're connected so very closely. Look at Jesus' interaction here in verses 13 through 16. Jesus is indignant about the disciples' reticence to allow the children to come closer. He is upset Because they are pushing the children away. Now let me just say this. It's not an exact, like I know this to be true. But it could be true. That what was really making Jesus mad. Was that the disciples were pushing away the little children to make room for the rich young ruler. Because the little children couldn't contribute anything to the mission. But the rich young ruler could. Talk about partiality. Could it be that Jesus' indignancy is not just about little kids being pushed aside, which was enough, don't get me wrong, but I think his indignance was really based more on the fact that in that day and in our day, it's easy to play favorites, and sometimes we give a little bit more credence and credibility to the person who can help us along. Last night, my wife and I watched the, the recent movie about Mr. Rogers, and I went to bed last night very happy with Mr. Roger-like thoughts. That's my, that's my childhood. That in Sesame Street, okay? I was born on the street. What can I say? That's the way it is. But just, just realizing in that movie how the adults were always trying to get Mr. Rogers to pay attention to the adults. And he just seemed to enjoy talking to the children or to the people that were hurting the most. And I asked God last night as I got through watching that movie to help me to be more like that. But here in this passage, we see that Jesus is, is loving towards the little children. And if you go to verse 31, I think you'll see that this is another verse that backs it up where he says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. I mean, the kingdom just switches the values around. It's not about the rich young ruler and all that he can give. It's about the little children who have faith. Let me give you one more example of why I think this is true. Look at verse 24. Now in verse 24 and following, you have the disciples, they're amazed at his words. And Jesus said to them, now notice the word that he uses to address his disciples. Do you see it there? What's the word? Children? Do you think that's a mistake? Do you think he's trying to make a connection for us? Now here's what Jesus is saying implicitly. He is saying to his disciples, you're not the rich young ruler. You're like the little children. You are men of faith. Now Peter, of course, because Peter's always putting his foot in his mouth, convinces me that he's the first Baptist, but anyway... He's like, hey, 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 that's us. We've left everything and followed you. We're not like the rich young ruler. Hey, hey, Jesus, hey, over here. You remember in class that one kid? Hey, hey, teacher, teacher. We did that. We left. Yay, we're going to heaven. Yes, 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 yes. That's Peter in this passage. And Jesus doesn't, doesn't get on to him for it because it's right. Because what these men had done, the disciples had done, they had exhibited the faith of the child as opposed to the faith or lack thereof. Of the rich young ruler. 
And that's why Jesus calls his disciples his children. If Jesus were here today, would he look at you and love you and then point out what you're lacking? Can Jesus call you his child? Now answer this question not based on the ministries you're involved in or how many generations back your Christian heritage goes. Answer that question based on the sole reality that at one point you had childlike faith and said, I don't know how you can do it, Jesus, but will you forgive me for all my sins so that I can go and be with you forever in glory? All the other things that you say and do, they matter. They matter for the kingdom and they matter for the goodwill of man. All those things are fine. But don't think that your soul is saved until Jesus can look at you and call you his simple child of faith. There is nothing more sweet in the world than to hear those words and to know that Jesus loves me. This I know. I heard those words this week. Johnny sang them at a funeral for Bonnie Smith. And I heard those words and, you know, I I think of those words. I find that that when my heart is heavy, um, often I go back to my children's lullabies from when I was a kid or, or those hymns that I remember singing as a child. But just hearing that again this week, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That is such a powerful reminder that it doesn't matter what this knows. What matters is that right here in my heart, I know that I am a child of God. And so to help us today to get to that place, to make sure that we have Jesus as our Savior, we ask this question, what is the gospel? Now, listen here, verse 32. If you open up your Bible again, please, let's look at chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Verse 33, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Now, you've noticed several times, and you will notice several more times, that Jesus has these paragraphs, or Mark has these paragraphs of Jesus, where he gives basically um, what's happening, the, the preview of coming attractions, that the cross and the resurrection are coming down the way. But I want you to notice how in these three verses, 32, 33, and 34, we see that Jesus has for us a very simple model of what it means to be saved, what the gospel is, and what it takes to be saved. Again, today we're asking the question, we're asking of our hearts, who can be saved? And Jesus shows us those who do this. First, look at verse 32. Notice right in the middle of it there, it says that his followers were afraid. The first thing I want to tell you before we walk out of this room together is that I believe that fear is what keeps most people from receiving Jesus. At some level, you're afraid that, that it's not the right thing, that, that the world is telling you that there are other options, or you're afraid that there would be some people in your life that would persecute you. Listen, all of those fears have their origin in the devil. And he wants you to live on fear 
so that you will die without faith. Jesus wants you to live on fear so that you will die without faith. And the the disciples even were succumbing to fear. And even after you come to know Christ, you're still going to have to wrestle with fears and anxieties. But ultimately, before you receive Christ, many times, many of us, we're like the rich young ruler. Maybe it's we've been brought up in church and we're afraid of what people are going to say. For me, that was the exact situation. I knew that if I went forward, people would say, that's, that's Jeremy. That's Jerry and Charlotte's son. He's been going to church a long time. I remember he was baptized when he was six. But God got a hold of me one day in my teens, and I knew that if I was going to be faithful, I had to walk forward and receive Christ. And I did, and I've never looked back. I haven't had that happen anymore, but in that moment, I know. I, I, was, I, was, I was touched by Jesus. The Holy Spirit told me that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I knew I needed to be saved. Listen, if that's you this morning, I don't care what it is that you think is, is causing fear. Get rid of that fear so that you can know faith. Secondly, in verse 33, receive the Bible's teaching that Jesus died for your sins. Listen, Jesus was perfect and didn't have to die, but he needed to die because we are sinners. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only way that we can have forgiveness of sins. The cross is necessary, and Jesus tells them it is necessary there in verse 33. And finally, in verse 34, you can rejoice in the truth that Jesus rose again to new life, and because of that, you can live forever with him. I'm going to end with this thought. You can go to heaven if you'll trust in Jesus. But you can't go to heaven and be with Jesus until the Lord convicts you of that sin, what you're lacking. Until you believe that the cross is the solution for all that you're lacking. And you receive him. As the Bible tells us, he is. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. Who can be saved? You. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.